you guys. Good morning. How are you? Good to be with you. Uh, man, Bible drills. That was, that was awesome. Some of you are, uh, need, to, need to work in some of those, those finger skills. But uh, today you guys can turn to Nehemiah chapter 9 and 10. Uh, we're looking at a part two of a message that we started uh, last week. And uh, we're going to be looking at the, the last verse in Nehemiah chapter 9, and then uh, also discussing uh, what takes place in Nehemiah chapter 10. So you guys can turn to your Bibles uh, there. We are uh, on our descent. We only have a, a, a week or two left for the book of Nehemiah. And so uh, soak it in, and uh, we'll, we'll get into it today. Now, many people live their lives afraid of commitment. Uh, it seems to be something that is only increasing uh, within our culture. Uh, the spirit of hesitation and second guessing are not uncommon. Uh, people are not committed in their relationships. People are not committed to their jobs. Even something as simple as hesitating uh, to commit plans with someone uh, because something better might come up. Well, as Christians, uh, we shouldn't be afraid of commitment. The Christian walk is a walk of constant commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is that one-time commitment, right, when we receive Jesus. There's that raising of the hand, the praying of a prayer, that all in commitment to receive Jesus and to choose to follow him. But then there's the day-to-day continued commitment of every part of our life to Jesus, right? And we see this type of concept where there's the initial commitment and then there's the day-to-day follow-through. Like when someone commits to a job, there's the initial signing of paperwork and the contract to get someone hired. But then there's the actual day-to-day commitment of what? Showing up to work and working hard. Or when someone plays and signs for a pro sports team, right? There's first that commitment uh, to sign the contract for such and such amount of years and such and such amount of money, right? And they hold up the jersey with their last name on it. But then there's the day-to-day where they actually have to show up for practice, where they have to go to the games. Or what about when someone gets married, right? When someone gets married, there is, of course, the wedding day, The vows are recited, but then there's the day-to-day commitment to love that person, even if there are days that you don't like them. And what we're looking at today is this idea of commitment. This is step two within the repentance process. And last week, we studied chapter nine, where the people gathered together in humble confession and started that process of repentance. They sought to get in a right relationship with God after not living in a way of the things that God commanded them to do. And if you can remember from last week, this is the process that we discussed. Uh, Where Nehemiah chapter 8, we saw conviction from the book being opened. Last week, we looked at the second kind of process, which was confession. That's step one of of repentance. And then today, we're going to be looking at this this third part of this cycle of the one who follows God, and that is commitment. 
This is that cycle that should be something that is common in the life of the one who pursues after God. That as we seek him and we seek him in his word, there's gonna be that revelation of I'm not doing what God has asked me to do in this particular area. And so we come to God in open and honest and humble confession. Uh, But we must not forget the third part of that where we then commit to live for him. The Christian life that pursues the Lord involves confession and commitment, okay? So the big idea is the same big idea from yesterday because this is part two, yesterday, last week, uh, because this is part two. And remember, the big idea, the main theme of Nehemiah 9 and 10 of what we're looking at is the fact that repentance to change one's mind is not just a one-time act at salvation, right? It, It needs to be at salvation. Without repentance, there is no salvation. There has to be that acknowledgement, that commitment to Jesus, but a consistent attitude is what we are to have as we follow the Lord, all right? So uh, you don't need to write this down again uh, because we saw it last week. Now, repentance, remember, it has two parts. Uh, last week, we looked at confession. That's that acknowledgement, right? That's the fact that what I was doing, I agree with you, God, that I shouldn't have been doing that. But if we only leave repentance at step one, then we're just going to have this vicious cycle of step one, uh, and then step one again, and then step one again, where we're going to mess up and confess our sin again, and then mess up in the same area and confess. And it's this crazy cycle of sin. What step two in the repentance process does for us is to help and get us off of that sin cycle so that confession uh, becomes something in maybe that particular area that we don't have to partake in as much because we're not falling short. We're not sinning in that area. And that's that action. That's that determination. And so today, um, I am just going to read to you Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38, and then we're going to pray. So if you, got, if you guys want to uh, stand with me for the reading of God's word, uh, we're going to read one verse, so it's, you won't be standing for uh, too long a period of time. And so we're going to read verse 38 because it's this transition verse that is going to then lead in to things that we're going to talk about in chapter 10. And so quite simply, I'm going to read verse 38 and we'll pray and ask God to speak to us through his word. All right, sound good? Nehemiah 9 verse 38 says, And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it, our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. Father, this is your word, and we pray that you would speak to us now as we dive in to all that uh, Nehemiah 9 and 10 would uh, say to us. And so we look to you in this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys can be seated. Now, the reason that we start with just one verse is because what we see in Nehemiah 9, verse 38, the last verse recorded for us, is we see transition here from confession to commitment. If you can recall to last week, this prayer of confession 
that's recorded for us in Nehemiah 9 is the longest prayer recorded for us in the Bible. And Nehemiah and the people go through a history of, right, who God is and all that God has done for them. And they recognize their own wrongs. They say, God, you were faithful, but we were not. And this culminates, this concludes in verse 38, where we see a prayer of confession turn into a life of commitment. Look again at your Bibles, verse 38. He says, because of all this. What is he talking about? Because of all what? Because of what he just prayed in the ninth chapter of all that God had done for them and all that God was to them and how they were unfaithful. He says, because of all this stuff, in light of all this sin, in light of all of your faithfulness, here is what we are going to do. And we see there are three steps that are taking place here in the 38th verse. They say that they are going to make a sure covenant. They're going to make it. They're going to write it. And then it says our leaders and our Levites and our priests, they're going to seal it. And I think there is something significant uh, for us to learn and take from where they gather together, they pray this honest prayer of confession, and they say, and we're going to do something about it. We're going to make a sure covenant. The idea of making a sure covenant is a firm agreement. It's a firm determination. It's a firm commitment. This sure covenant is something that was not newly created, but it was something that was to be renewed and recommitted. What did they want to renew? What did they want to recommit to God? They wanted to renew that original covenant promise uh, that God had given to the children of Israel, that he made with Israel. When he went to Abraham and said, I want to make a nation out of you. And he, and he sought to then be with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The people now hundreds of years removed, thousands, they look back and they say, God, we want to renew that relationship with you. We've been off track, but we want to get back on track. And so we want to make it. We want to agree to this. And then we want to write it. Meaning that they didn't, didn't just want this to be something that they're like, all right, we're going to do it. All right, let's go, let's go get lunch. No, they wanted to write it down. This, this means that they wanted to come up with a binding written agreement. They wanted to come up with a, a sort of a, what you could say a, a contract, but something deeper, something more than that, uh, to sign on the dotted lines. Uh, and then we see that then they wanted to seal it and they wanted their spiritual leaders to seal it. That means that they wanted to sign it meaning that they were all in agreement together. It's kind of like the Declaration of Independence, right? Where there is a group of people who got together and they said, we need to do this. We need to declare our independence from the King of Britain, right? We need to go away and we need to do this. And so they, they make it, but then they, they assign, right? It's Thomas Jefferson, right? Who, who makes the, the Declaration of Independence. Am I, am I getting that right? Yes, okay. Uh, second guessing myself. And so they, they make it, they, 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 they write it out, 
and then they come together and they seal it, right? They, they sign, and who, who signed the biggest on the Declaration of Independence? Yeah, yeah, John Hancock, right? And, and I'm sure Nehemiah was maybe one of the biggest signers, and Ezra and the people, and it followed, that they came up with a declaration. They said, we're going to follow the Lord. We're going to renew our relationship to him. And they wrote it out, and they signed it. What does this tell us? They were serious about their commitment to the Lord. This wasn't a passing thought. This wasn't a nice idea that these three steps show us that they were all in. Now, committing certain vows to God was a common practice in the Old Testament. However, in the New Testament, we see the relationship with God and his people change. There's no evidence in the New Testament that shows New Testament believers making these kinds of vows to God other than that initial all-in commitment to follow Jesus, right? Our relationship in the New Testament is now that of a father and his children. Uh, I don't think it's necessary uh, at, least, at least it wasn't for me growing up, uh, if I did sin against my, my family, you know, for me to write an official uh, a covenant with them and to get in right relationship, I had to go before my father and mother and say, Father, mother, I have sinned and here is the contract and we're going to move forward and I commit to be a good boy, right? It wasn't, no, it, it was a relationship type of thing. And so in the New Testament, we see that now happen where our obedience now can be a simple, joyful response for all that he has done for us. That we don't have to make, you know, these, these solemn vows to the Lord and oaths that we do see in the Old Testament. However, I do think there is something good and healthy for our walks with Jesus to have times of recommitment and renewal. We don't need to make these solemn vows and oaths to the Lord, but after conviction and confession for us to spend time with the Lord and make a serious commitment to him is a good thing. It's good. That, 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 that recommitment, that, that renewal of relationship. I know for me and my own walk with God, this is something that uh, there are certain times in in my walk where it's gotten more serious of a renewal. Uh, but honestly, I find myself weekly just recommitting, like, Lord, like, this is where I want to live. I want to live in your ways. I want to live in your presence. But we must always keep in mind that as we commit and determine that our ability to follow through, our ability to commit is not based upon our willpower. It's not based upon our brute strength, but it is based upon his glorious power in us. The, the only reason I can commit my life to the ways of the Lord is him in and through me. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, He who calls you is faithful who will also do it. We must never lose sight as we seek to commit our lives to God. We, we must never think it's based upon us alone. God says, I need you uh, to follow, but I will do the following in you. 
You, you just are willing vessel. And the Bible says it is God who works in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We open the door. God says, I'll take care of the rest. Uh, but we do need that, right? That, that opening that door, that commitment. And God says, I will be faithful to do it. But will you allow me to? Now, side note, it might not be a bad idea to have a time where you do uh, kind of have that renewed commitment written down, maybe in a journal or on a sticky note, uh, simply because I think for us, it's good to have a point of connection, right? For even like the Declaration of Independence, like it's still something that is looked back to. It's that point of connection. It was written down, it was made, and we, though we weren't there, like we follow in those footsteps, right? And so I think there is something good, especially maybe if it's a, you've been really walking away from the Lord for a while, uh, and, and it's not just something, you know, uh, uh, um, some kind of s- smaller, I guess you could say, sin or, or just lapse in, in your pursuit of him, uh, then I think it's good to, to kind of write that out, write out, God, I want to follow you in this area. And it could be a good point of connection. And so we just read the last verse of chapter nine, but what do we have in chapter 10? In chapter 10, this covenant that they wrote, this, this kind of commitment that they made, uh, the details are then panned out for us in chapter 10. And we're not going to read it simply because of the nature of the chapter, uh, but I want to kind of break it down to you in, in two ways, okay? We see in the first 27 verses, and if you look in chapter 10, you will then understand why the reason we're not going to read it together. Uh, there are 84 names mentioned, uh, which would take up uh, a bulk of our study. And so if you look, though, just scan through from verse 1 in chapter 10 to verse 27, we get the uh, names and categories of those who, in a sense, signed. Those who were saying, I'm going to represent my people, uh, whether it was, you know, one governor. Anyone know who that was? Nehemiah, right? Nehemiah was the governor of the people. He was uh, first to, to sign his name. I like to think in my cartoon head that, uh, you know, it was kind of like that Jan, John Hancock style, the, the biggest name to sign, right? Uh, and then there was 22 priests mentioned, 17 Levites, those who did ministerial work in the temple. And then there were 44 heads uh, of families or, or leaders that represented the bulk of People And so we have the 84 people, which I just think that's interesting. Like God in scripture takes the time to list by name uh, 84 individuals. God is a God of uh, not just the masses, uh, but the individual. And he's looking for personal commitment. You know, just because you're, you're here at church and there's this gathered unity where we all want to follow the Lord, that doesn't mean that you don't have the personal responsibility in your own life, right? They, these names are listed individually and personally. And so just quite simply, I wanted to note that to you. Uh, there's, I don't think much of uh, an exposition or things to draw out of these individual names. Uh, but then the, the kind of next half of the chapter, 
we see what they signed. So in the first 27 verses, it is those who signed. Then in the remaining uh, verses in the chapter from verse 28 to verse 39, uh, it tells us, well, what was written in it, right? You might know what was written in the Declaration of Independence, uh, but what was written this? Like, what were the details? What were they committing to? Uh, what specifically uh, was their commitment? Now, what we find in these verses are, it's kind of a, a double-sided commitment. You know what the idea of a double-sided is, right? Like a coin. Uh, there, there's two sides to it. And within their commitment, there's kind of, it's a double-sided coin. Uh, there is a commitment of what they would not do, but then there is a commitment of what they would do. There was this, I, there was this, it was in the negative, but it was also in the positive. God, we are committing not to do this anymore. And God, we are committing to do this. And so often kind of that's, that's commitment. A commitment according to scripture is not just a, a what not to do, but it is also a what to do. Uh, this commitment wasn't based upon what they thought was good, uh, but what God had told them in the book of how they should live. It was the book, the word of God, that was their authority. It wasn't like they just began to make up things that they thought God would like. God, we're not going to wear green on Tuesdays anymore. God would be like, I don't, like, you can wear green on Tuesdays. I don't need that commitment from you. It wasn't based upon the, any religious traditions or experience. They took what God told them, and they used that as the basis for their commitment. And so in verses 30 to 39, uh, there's, there's kind of three different things that they commit to, all right? The first one, look at verse 30 in your Bibles, verse 30. Uh, they say, we would not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. And so the first commitment that they made was, we're not going to marry people who don't follow the ways of the Lord. We're no longer going to intermarry in a way uh, with, with non-believers, pagan people who have no regard for the ways of God. Because that is part of the problem of how we've gotten to this place. Because now we have family and we have, we have sons and daughters who aren't growing up in the ways of the Lord. And so we're away from his ways. And so we're going to do this. We're no longer going to marry people who don't follow the ways of the Lord. Verse 30. Then in verse 31, this is the second thing. Look at there. If the peoples of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath. So they also say, hey, we haven't been honoring that day of rest. That people within the culture, they come and they want to sell to us. They want to buy from us. And so we've been giving in to that temptation and not honoring the one day that you told us not to work. And so God, uh, we're not going to do that anymore. And then the third thing, though, is in the positive. And this is found in verses 32 to 39. If you look at verse 32, it says, Also, we made ordinances, commitments for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly, one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of God. And from verse 32 to the rest of the chapter, it's about their commitment to once again give to the things of God. They would once again tithe as God had commanded to them. 
Now, why did they choose these three areas? Not marrying, honoring the Sabbath, and uh, giving again to the work of God. It's because it was in these three areas that they were failing the most, that they were falling short. You could break up these commitments okay, into the following categories. You could break them up that they had a commitment regarding their family life, regarding who they would marry and not marry. Uh, they had a commitment of their time, that before they wouldn't honor God with their time on the Sabbath, and so they, they recommitted that. And finally, they weren't giving to the ways of God, to the house of God, and so the temple, the worship of God was being uh, neglected. Uh, and what's interesting about these three categories that they chose, uh, this is really how you would encompass one's life. Our life is made up of our family and decisions we make regarding family. Our life is made up of the time and how we spend it and who we spend it for. And a third part is, in, in a big way, is the money and where we spend it. Right? The Bible said that where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And so they committed these areas to the Lord, their family, their time, and their money. And these are so often the areas within our own lives where we need to recommit. God, and maybe it's not, you know, uh, you're not marrying non-believers. I don't think any of you are marrying anyone. Uh, but, but in that category of family or that category of time or mon money and those are often the areas that God would want to work in our lives. And so they, they kind of have this new beginning, right? The, this new start. They, they are able to turn over a new leaf and have a blank slate because they've confessed. Now they've committed and now it's time to walk in those things. Someone once said this, the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. And it's true. I find myself weekly, if not daily, uh, just having a new beginning with the Lord. Uh, and I love that we're able to, that, that our God is a God of forgiveness. Uh, he's someone who even when we mess up, we can just go to him. And if we're honest and if we're humble, God says, I will then forgive you and I will work in you. And so we, we have these, these new beginnings. And the victorious Christian life, meaning the, the Christian life that experiences victory over sin and obedience to God is the one who can recognize that even what I did yesterday will not affect me of what I will do tomorrow. It's a series of new beginnings. Lamentations chapter 2, uh, sorry, chapter 3, verse 22 and 23 tells us that through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is a very encouraging verse. Because God says, my compassion that I have towards you, that's his mercy, my love towards you, that it's not going to run out. That it's, it's going to be renewed every morning. Now, notice it says, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Without his mercies, we would be consumed, meaning we would be condemned. We would have to come to an end of ourselves. But God says, no, 
my compassions fail not. That, that yes, you messed up yesterday, but guess what? Today is a new day. And God says, just come to me in repentance, which includes confession and commitment, and let's move on. Our God is a forward-moving God. He says, forget the things which are behind and move forward, reach towards the goal. Now, within the Old Testament, the idea to commit to something uh, is this. Uh, We see this word commit brought up a lot in the book of Proverbs. And it means to dedicate and trust entirely to a specific person. Uh, It is to entrust yourself to someone else. And, And there's many scriptures that use this word commit. In Hebrew, it literally means to roll. It's kind of weird. Uh, when you look at the, the Hebrew origin of this word commit, it means to roll as though getting rid of a heavy weight, uh, too heavy for yourself. It has this sense of finality to it where you uh, imagine being on a, on a cliff and rolling a big boulder off the cliff that it's gone, that you're not getting that back up. It's gone. There's this sense of rolling to leave it there and not taking back. Have you ever committed, had someone commit to you and then went back on it? Maybe you used to have a best friend and they got you a a BFF necklace. And when you were younger, you said to each other, no matter what, right? Wherever we move and whatever we do, we'll come back and we'll always be friends. And then the next week, they leave you for other friends, right? And, and, and that is to commit and go back on it. I know for me, I had close friends growing up and then a year happened and they went off with other people and I went off with other people. And there's the idea of commitment, but then taking it back, this word means to roll, to entrust and not go back. It's to be able to go all in. Psalm 37 verse five tells us that we as followers of God are to commit our way, to commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him. And the Bible says, and he shall bring it to pass. What do you guys think the Bible means when it says your way, that you are to commit your way to the Lord. What do you guys think? All right. Yep, Gabriel. Your life, for sure. But, but think about, uh, yeah, it is life, but it's even more specific, right? Uh, where your way is your path. It is your way of life. It's, it, it, I want you to think about it wherever you go, right? Think about the word highway, right? Meaning that there's a, it's, it's, a, it's a road. And your way is wherever you go. It's whether you are going, or you're at home, that's where your way is, or your school, or you make your way to church, or you make your way to the store or the baseball game. The Bible says that just commit that wherever you go, that it is going to be committed to the Lord, meaning his way becomes your way because you commit your way to him. You say, God, this is the way I go. 
My plans today and this week, I'm going to be going this place and this place, and this is where I go, but God is yours. I'm going to commit my way to you. And the Bible says that he shall bring it to pass. The idea of bringing something to pass is that it's accomplished. It's kind of like passing, right? Think about passing a test, that it, that it becomes accomplished. This right here, this verse is the key to a successful life. Now, the world will put its own credentials and what it thinks that a successful life is. Uh, but according to scripture, that if you want to live in a, an accomplished life, that it's going to come to pass, there's going to be success, then your key is to commit your way to the Lord. All right. Similarly, Proverbs 16.3 says that we are to commit our works to the Lord. So we're to commit our way, but God also encourages, commands us to commit our works to the Lord. Now, if our way is where we go, then what do you think our work is? What we do. Our way is where we go, and our work is what we do. And the Bible says if we commit our works to the Lord, your thoughts will be established. The idea of work is labor. It's what you put your energy and effort into. It's while you're at home, it's, it's your work. It's while you're at school, it's your work. It's while you're at the baseball game, it's what you are doing. And the Bible says that if you just commit your works to the Lord, God, whatever I do, it's gonna be for you. Notice, and this is powerful, that your thoughts will be established. Established. You guys have seen like those, you know, uh, companies that have established, right? 2013, established. I Meaning that, that, that has been their, their start. That idea of established is that it's the idea of something that's firm, something that's reliable, something that's existent. See, our thoughts can be very unreliable at times. They can be unsteady, not knowing, man, are we thinking the right things? Where is this thought coming from? You want thoughts that are reliable? that are firm, that are established, the Bible says, commit your work to the Lord. It is the committing of one's work that turns into the establishing of one's thoughts. Are you struggling in your thought life? Do you, do you wrestle back and forth with maybe thoughts of depression, thoughts of anxiety, thoughts of self-worth? Do, do you have trouble being able to distinguish? Uh, maybe your thoughts are just all over the place, out of control. The Bible says, begin to commit your work. Whatever I do, God, is gonna be for you. And the Bible says, then your thoughts will be established. Commit your way where you go and commit your work what you do. That is what we are to commit to in our lives. And the Bible says God will bring it to pass. He will accomplish what he wants to do in your life. Just give him your way. Say, God, wherever I go, I want you to go before me. Wherever I go, I want, I want to be with you. I want to do it with you. And, and if we commit our work, that our thoughts will be established. We are to continually and consistently commit our entire lives to the Lord. Ephesians chapter four, verse 28, tells us, 
Let him who steal, stole, steal no longer, but rather him, let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. The pattern that the Bible gives us for repentance and specifically this idea of commitment is that of stopping and starting. I want you to write that down. Stopping and put a little plus sign, starting. So often, this is what repentance and commitment looks like. It's stopping and starting, right? Even what we look at in chapter 10, they said, we're gonna stop doing this guy and we're gonna start doing this. We're gonna stop marrying uh, people that don't believe in you. We're gonna stop not honoring your Sabbath and we're gonna start giving to the ways of God. And here in Ephesians 4, Paul says quite simply, and I like this kind of example that he gives. He says, if you were stealing and you become saved, you were convicted, you were a thief, steal no longer, but it doesn't stop there. Rather than let him labor. What's the opposite of stealing? It's giving. And so labor where you're able to then work with your hands what is good and then have something to give. This is the simplistic pattern working hard to provide and giving those in need. It's stopping and starting, stopping and starting. If you're driving and realize that you're going in the opposite direction of your destination, you don't just slam on the brakes in the middle of the road. You don't. Imagine being on the freeway and your dad realizes he's going the wrong way and he just slams on the brakes. Not gonna be good for you. So what do you do? You take the nearest exit, and you make a U-turn. You turn around. You don't stop entirely. There is this transition where there is this stopping, this starting. It is a turning around U-turn. Stop going that direction. Start going in the others, meaning that stopping is not enough to get you to the desired destination. Sometimes the Christian life for some people can become just about stopping sin. And God says, no. That's only one part of it. But if you just try to stop sin and don't fill it with anything else, you're just going to start sinning again. But we are to be stopping and starting. I want you guys to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. All right, so we're in Nehemiah. Um, you can leave your ribbon there if you'd like. I don't think we'll be back uh, to a specific verse I want to show you. Uh, but Luke chapter 3, I want you kind of to see this and walk through this a little bit with me. All right. Luke chapter 3. You guys should be nice and trained from your Bible drills, all right? Remember, uh, if you're not sure where it is, table of contents is always available to you. And over time, if you do that enough, you'll start remembering where the books are. Luke chapter 3, starting verse 17, uh, John the Baptist is baptizing people. This is before the ministry of Jesus starts. He's preparing the way. And uh, John was a gnarly dude. Look there in verse seven with me. It says, then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, broad of vipers, you snakes, he says, who warns you from the f- to, to flee from the wrath to come. <laughs> He's got some strong language. Verse eight, he says, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. He says, it doesn't matter who you're related to. 
And even now, verse 9, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? Okay, John, you're telling us to repent. What do we do? And he answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed to you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him saying, and what shall we do? They were getting specific. So he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. John uses this phrase, bear fruits worthy of repentance. It means produce in your life what you just confessed and committed to. Live it out. Put up or shut up. That's basically what John is saying. Put it up. You're, you're saying you're, you're getting real about your relationship with the Lord, then do something about it. He says, what shall we do? And he says, be generous, give. If you have two tunics, give one of them away. Start living as if you were living for the Lord, which you should be. The tax collectors, right? People who uh, would steal money uh, off the top and would charge people more. He said, they said, okay, what do we do? Stop stealing, right? And just and stop taking advantage of people. Soldiers, don't take advantage of your position, right? He says, don't, don't, don't take advantage of people and, and don't complain about what you've had. There's this side where there's this stopping, but there is this starting. Is that, is that making sense? And it's important for us to realize. I once heard someone tell a testimony of their husband who came in rushing to the room. Uh, do you guys know what a checkbook is? Okay. So this is an old story, old testimony. They came into the room and they're like, where is the checkbook? I need to write a check. And, and, and we, we, had, we have extra money this month. And she says, like, why? Like, why, why do we have to give that away? He said, because I am feeling selfish. It's pretty good. That, that, that he would counter the flesh, not just with, I'm not going to spend this money, but I'm going to, I'm feeling this temptation uh, of sin. And so I'm going to now do the opposite. We need to get good about filling in uh, for what we are replacing the bad with. Do you know the story of Zacchaeus in the Bible? All right, it's a very short story in the Bible. Okay. Gabriel got it. Uh, he was a chief tax collector, uh, he, right? He, he's the one that climbed up into the tree to see Jesus. He was a chief tax collector, meaning that he didn't just take from people, but he took from people who took from people. Uh, and he was no doubt highly hated, uh, highly also feared because you could, he could take your money and have the backing of the government. And uh, no, no, no doubt did not do what was right in, in God's eyes. But look what Luke 19 tells us, verse 8. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. 
You see, there were people that were saying, look at Zacchaeus, like he's a tax collector. There's no way he could follow you. He says, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you my life. I'm not just saying I wanna follow Jesus. The people I took from, I'm gonna go to them and I'm gonna give them back fourfold. Does anyone know what that word and idea of fourfold means? Yeah. Yeah, four times, right? He said, if I stole $100 for someone, I'm so serious about getting right with God that I'm gonna go and now give that person $400. Four times what I took from them, I'm gonna give them now that additional, right, $300, four times $100, I'm gonna give them $400. And I think there's something good here. I think this is that proper attitude of repentance that I don't wanna just uh, barely meet the status quo. I'm gonna go above and beyond because I'm that committed to following Jesus our commitment should be fourfold. Let's say for some of you, you've just been super rude to your mom. You've just been mean to her. Uh, and, and, you know, just have an attitude, quick, uh, saying things under your breath. Well, first of all, you got to stop being rude. Right? That's step one. But don't just stop there. If you're truly repentant, then that's going to turn into, well, how can you show love and appreciation towards her? If you were saying mean things before, then now what can you say to rectify what you have done? Maybe some of you are, are struggling with just the sin of being super lazy. You're just super lazy. First of all, you got to stop being lazy. But then to stop being lazy, you got to go do something. Go take out the trash for once before your mom has to tell you, right? Go and clean your room before your mom has to tell you. Like go and do something now in the opposite. What about cussing? Maybe some of you guys just, you've just been having a potty mouth lately and, and cussing up a storm. Uh, don't just stop cussing, but then go and maybe share scripture with someone. Give someone, uh, you know, uh, uh, an encouragement in the name of Jesus. Do the opposite. Uh, what about evil thoughts? Maybe some of you have been, have, you've just been struggling, getting attacked uh, in your thought life, wicked, evil thoughts. Don't just say, I'm just going to stop thinking. You can't. Go and fill that thought with God's word or something good. We already talked about stealing. What about pride? Maybe some of you are just very proud. Of course, stop being prideful, but then put yourself in a position to serve other people. Uh, rather than always hogging the remote, give the remote to your sister. Uh, rather, than, rather than always taking the last slice, thinking that you deserve it, uh, give it away. If we only stop the sin we are doing and don't then fill our lives with what God wants us to do, we create a void and a vacuum that has to be filled. And if we don't fill it with the things of God, we will then find ourselves just going right back to what we were doing before. You know, for the most part, you can't think about nothing. You can't. And so your mind is made to think. So if you want to stop thinking about something sinful, you, you, don't, you can't just stop. You have to replace it. You have to fill your mind with something that is good. And then that sinful thought, will ha it, can't, it doesn't have space. Your mind is full of good things. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 says, Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil and learn to do good. Did you catch that? 
Cease to do evil and learn to do good. Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. The Christian life is not just about what not to do. The majority of the Christian life should be what we do for Jesus. Not that we don't deal with sin, not that we don't have to come to him before confession, but if your walk with Jesus is just about not sinning, you are an immature Christian and God wants to mature you. God wants to grow you. God wants to begin to do things in and through you, not just dealing with the sin stuff. He died for that. He forgave you. Yes, it's going to happen. God says, come to me and confess, but I got way more. It's not just about the negative or these rules. God says, yes, put away the evils of your doing. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Repentance is not just a one-time act at salvation, but a consistent attitude we are to have before the Lord as we follow him. And so may we live a life of continual confession and commitment as we pursue Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and Lord, we want to commit to following you. Uh, we, we want to be all in for you. We don't want anything to hold us back. Lord, would you just work in us? Lord, would you show us the areas that need recommitment? God, maybe we just don't know where to start. Would we start with that verse in Psalm and Proverbs? Lord, would we commit our way and our work to you? Lord, we want you to bring it to pass, to bring our life to accomplishment. We want to live that victorious Christian life. We want to hear those words of well done, uh, Lord, and, and it will be you in us, as we commit to you, that will bring that to pass. Lord, we want to commit our work to you, that our thoughts might be established, firm, reliable, that we might not be hindered as we seek to live a life pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.